So I know it's all hip now to make fun of the Fast and Furious movies for their obsession with family, but I've read some things about people wanting to do like drinking games every time Vin Diesel says family or every time there's a discussion of, oh, you're trying to turn, turn your back on your family. And let me just weigh in on that idea. Um, yeah, don't do it because you will die. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, this is Rob, and on this episode we're going to be talking all about The Fast and the Furious, and I don't really mean the first movie, and I don't really mean the fourth movie, I'm talking about the whole damn thing. So, um, yeah, so we've been, we're here now in 2017, 16 years since the Fast and the Furious, the original, I'm talking about this time, not the 4,000 awkwardly named sequels. And we're getting ready for the fate of the Furious. So here's what's going to go down. We're going to go over uh, the past of the franchise, ranking them for you. And then we're going to get into an in-depth review of the fate of the Furious. The new film from director F. Gary Gray, featuring Vin Diesel, Dwayne Johnson, Charlize Theron, Jason Statham, Ludacris, Tyrese, and, and many other people. Kurt Russell, a lot of other people. There's a lot of people in this thing. So, as I said, this has been a long history of... Fast and Furious movies over the years, but uh, you know, let's um, let's talk about six. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about flicks and me. Let's talk about what the good films and the bad films are to me. Let's talk about six. Let's talk about six. So the first thing that's probably worth noting is that this segment is called "Let's Talk About Six. But there are actually seven Fast and Furious movies to date. We're not going to be including Fate of the Furious in this, obviously, uh, because we're going to save the review for the end of the episode. So you might be wondering which film is the odd movie out. And sadly, that actually falls down to the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. This, to me, is by far the weakest link. Or not by that far, but is easily the weakest link for me. And a big part of it has to do with Lucas Black and the fact that I can't stand his performance in this film. I don't know if it's the accent or if it's the fact that he comes across as sort of a Paul Walker uh, replacement right after Too Fast, Too Furious, but that film has very little for me to really uh, care about. After the first two had established all these interesting characters, or at least characters that would later become more interesting, um taking the franchise into sort of a standalone mode, focusing even more on street racing, which is probably the least interesting aspect of these films for me. Uh, didn't really work for me. The addition of like supporting cast members like Bow Wow definitely didn't help. The one saving grace of that film that I will say is the addition of Sung Kang as Han, or as his last name is Han Sol. Oh. Yes, that's right. The Fast and Furious franchise, whether you realize it or not, has a Han Solo all its own. So including him um, and introducing him into the, the franchise was a smart move because Sun Kang is uh, a lot of fun in that character. And he brings a lot to Fast and Furious, the, uh, the following film, Fast Five, Fast and Furious 6, <clears throat> before spoilers being killed off. I guess that's kind of spoilers for both that film and Tokyo Drift. But Tokyo Drift was really an anomaly in the franchise, and the fact that they had to reconfigure the franchise, uh, or the franchise timeline rather, in order for it to make any sense with the larger mythology, 
to me really really um, underscores the fact that it is kind of the outlier here. And although Justin Lin, director Justin Lin, coming into the franchise here for the first in four films that he would direct um, for the series, brings a lot of style to it. The lead characters, the narrative, and, and the focus is just not something that appeals to me almost at all. So just to get that out of the way, I know this is sort of now, let's talk about Seven, <clears throat> but I, I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention what the last film that got cut off of the, the let's talk about Six segment uh, actually was. So um, moving into the let's talk about Six proper, number six, Too Fast, Too Furious. Now this is the second film as the Too Fast, Too Furious um, title would indicate, and it's the first uh, to have kind of a ridiculous title, and it's it, it's it's amazing to me that people are somehow able to keep these things straight. I mean, I can because I'm a, a cinephile and I follow all this stuff, but for the casual moviegoer, they must have no freaking idea what the hell is going on with these with these film titles. Uh, but this one was directed by John Singleton, who was an interesting choice for the film. Of course, he did Boys in the Hood and Baby Boy with Tyrese, who he brought back in for Too Fast, Too Furious. And the film is clearly trying to capitalize on the hip-hop theme of the first film soundtrack and bringing in uh, bringing in people like Ludacris to as sort of a... I don't know if he was supposed to be sort of a... Uh, fulfill the rapper in the supporting cast role that Ja Rule was in the first film. Or what? But we brought Ludacris into it here. We brought Tyrese into it here, as I said. And I'll get my I'll get to my thoughts on those two later because they ended up having a tremendous role in the subsequent films. But this this film here, Too Fast, Too Furious, was when I really realized that Vin Diesel, in many ways, was the lifeblood of this franchise. Even though he's really far from my favorite part of these films, um, he he brings he sort of grounds it as Dominic Toretto, and without him. And this is the only film that he's not in at all, I should say, because at least in Tokyo Drift, he shows up at the end and it sort of pretends to have some relevance to the previous films before they later retcon it into where it actually fits. But Too Fast, Too Furious, there was no Vin Diesel, there was little to no, there was little connection to, um, to that character. In fact, he was supposedly on the run after the first film and didn't show up really again until Fast and Furious. And, uh, yeah, he, he, I don't really, I'm not a huge Vin Diesel fan, but his absence was heavily felt here. And Too Fast, Too Furious really tried to take the series into sort of spin-off territory. And to me, Paul Walker, as great as he was in the ensemble parts of these films, just really couldn't handle leading it on his own. He just wasn't compelling enough of a character without someone like Vin Diesel or Michelle Rodriguez or Jordana Brewster to, to sort of round out the, the ensemble nature of the of the franchise, which they really sort of embraced later on. And let me tell you, it really doesn't help that Too Fast, Too Furious, the script in that thing is a mess. Number five, Fast and Furious. Now, don't let the ridiculously repetitive title confuse you. This is the fourth one. This is Fast and Furious, episode four. And the film, this was the film that resurrected Sun Kang's Han um, after killing him in Tokyo Drift, causing a lot of people to be like, wait, whoa, wait, wait a minute. What the hell is going on? Are we now in... Fast and Furious prequel territory? Sort of. Yeah, basically. I mean, uh, 4, 5, and 6 are essentially the prequel trilogy of Fast and Furious, which is which is weird, but in a way, it is true. And it, it's funny how this franchise has built itself into sort of a, uh, sort of a, a shared universe before Marvel was even really trying, really, really trying too hard. I mean, this was still, this came out in 2009, 
And um, right when Marvel was starting to do the same with Iron Man, the Hulk had already come out. But this one actually is the first one that bring the main four actors back into the fold, even though it killed Michelle Rodriguez's Letty, or so we thought. After Tokyo Drift, the series and returning director Justin Lin, who came back for after Tokyo Drift for this film, realized that the, the movie really isn't, the franchise appeal really isn't in the street racing per se. Uh, it's, that's not what's made it pop, what's made it popular. It's the characters, their insane adventures, and Fast and Furious sort of works as as um, a direct proper sequel to the original film, but it's really just a teaser of the better adventures to come. Um, kind of reintroducing like if if Fast and Furious is the original story, this is like the reboot almost ten years later, but like. We're, well, we're still back. These guys are all, but not the reboot, but like the reintroduction of those characters, almost a decade late, uh, almost a decade later after the first film hit theaters. And I should say that Fast and Furious is notable for bringing in Gal Gadot as Giselle, uh, which was a a a big part of uh, of the the later sequels going forward. Number four, The Fast and the Furious. Speaking of the original film, I was saying how Fast and Furious was a, a proper sequel to it. Uh, this is basically the point break with cars that you've always wanted. I mean, sure, the plot's derivative as hell, and, but there's, like I said earlier, there's something about Vin Diesel's Dominic Toretto and his obsession with family that has continued to resonate throughout the franchise. There's really groundwork laid here for all the crazy places the series would go um, right from right from the outset in director Rob Cohen's film. I mean, it's, it's funny how it started out as as them just like low-level criminals who really had skills behind the wheel and uh, and that's the foundation that they've continued to to uh, to refer back to those are the roots and you see that even in the fate of the furious the whole we'll get into this later but the whole opening sequence is essentially a street racing reference back to that first film being like oh this is what we're doing we're, we're gonna race to earn respect and and uh, we're gonna who the winner gets to keep the other person's car and that kind of thing and that all started here there had never really been a uh, a film that was that really struck this chord with the, the the street racing aspect at least that had this that became a phenomenon in the way this film has and looking back it's really beyond tame compared to uh, today's standards and it was a surprise hit you know on a personal level i started my first job working in a movie theater on the opening night june 20th 2001 when the fast and the furious came out and i remember thinking how insanely packed the place was that weekend i don't i mean i i had like very vague interest in the movie i knew about it, it was coming out but it wasn't something that necessarily appealed to me so i was really surprised to see it performing so well and i could tell that it was the start of something big but i mean i had no clue that this cheesy little action thriller would blow up into a multi-billion dollar franchise among the highest grossing in cinema history number three furious seven so, from the first film to one of its most recent, the seventh model in the series is most notable for being the final appearance of the late Paul Walker, who tragically died in a cruel twist of irony, I must add, in a car accident uh, on a break during production. The film's title is meant to be a, ref, a riff on Western classic Magnificent Seven, and the personal nature of the story really rings true with both Dom's crew and the vengeful villain played by Jason Statham, who, if, if you're like me was great in the transporter movies and a bunch of other action from the crank films and uh expendable films he really brings an energy to any franchise he comes into uh and we'll get more into his subsequent appearance in fate of the furious in a little bit but this entry furious 7 is directed by james wan of saw the conjuring insidious 
And he basically turned the main cast into spies. Like, if the fifth one was the heist movie and the sixth one was more like became like the superhero style uh style uh installment this is the one where they're they're full-on working for the government and like really embracing the globe-trotting nature of this franchise but that it started to to uh, seep into five and six furious seven is just like balls out just like batshit crazy and uh, it also confirmed the series' new approach to basically collect iconic action stars. I mentioned Expendables because of Jason Statham's supporting role in that in that franchise. But um, 3 of 7 not only brought him in, it had Ronda Rousey in there. The sixth one had uh, Gina Carano. And then by this point, uh, Dwayne Johnson is like a full-on like cast member, like a leading cast member, pretty much right below Vin Diesel and Paul Walker in this franchise. And they bring in Kurt Russell. I mean, I, 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 for one, refuse to not watch anything that Kurt Russell appears in. I've, I've even seen Soldier. So uh, the film really, really does a great job of, of sort of being what The Expendables tries to be in uh, uh, assembling sort of this next generation of big action stars. So it's sort of like, it's sort of like The Expendables, the next generation, only Jason Statham and Ronda Rousey, I guess, in this case. Only Jason Statham, it turns out to be a major player in both. Uh, but it, it, the film really, most of all, deserves props for wrapping up Paul Walker's involvement in such a poignant, beautiful way. And I, I defy you not to get misty-eyed during that final scene when that Wiz Khalifa song comes on and, uh, and Brian and Dom are driving down the road and they, they sort of the just diverging paths. That's just, I was really impressed with the way that James Wan and his team not only managed to make Brian's role in the story feel um feel integral and have his the fact that that walker passed away mid mid production of the film um none of that was really reflected in the actual uh in the actual film itself they they used you know the involvement of his brothers and a little bit of cg and you know body doubles and that kind of thing and they pulled it off seamlessly and not only that they crafted an amazing uh, an amazing kind of swan song tying up his storyline in, in such a in such an, an incredible way that um, really really blew me away the fact that this ridiculous action franchise was able to tug at the heartstrings in such an impactful uh, impactful manner. Number two, Fast and Furious Six or Fast Six or Furious Six or whatever the hell you want to call it, the, the sixth one. Uh, well, with the post credit scene in the previous film, uh, Fast and Furious 6 was really committed to its story, a serialized storytelling, excuse me, got tongue-tied there. But with this entry, director Justin Lin, again, coming back from Tokyo Drift in 4 or 5, uh, <clears throat> helped the series become borderline superhero saga, with each character becoming mythic and seemingly invulnerable. I'm thinking about that leap that, that Dom does across the road to catch Letty like midair. Um, that, that was, that was the, he basically became Superman, which is ironic for those of you who've seen the iron giant. Um, it, but it's, it's been an interesting evolution and six seems to be the one that really decided exactly what this franchise wants, wants to be. There was no worries about jumping the shark or, or pushing the envelope too far. Instead, the entire point would be to jump as many sharks as possible. And, uh, I think people, have really embraced that and then people are just looking for some escapism these days and having a franchise that so shamelessly is just about having fun 
really worked to the franchise's benefit. And uh, I think six was the one that really cemented what five was trying to do. So moving into number one, Fast Five. Now this should not be much of a surprise because this one to me is by far the, the, the finest, and I say finest in quotes, finest to Fast and Furious film thus far. I mean, this is another one directed by Justin Lin. This is when the, Fur the Fast and Furious franchise evolved from a niche street racing action thing that was more aimed towards younger people, towards teenagers, towards 20-somethings, towards, you know, uh, extreme athletes and blah, blah, blah. It evolved from a niche franchise into something truly mainstream. This is the kind of blockbuster series that everyone gets hyped to see. And you've seen that in 6, you've seen that in 7, and I guarantee you when the box office results come out for Fate of the Furious, that will only continue. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the addition of frequent franchise redeemer Dwayne Johnson. We've seen him come in to several franchises at this point and, and really, uh, really add a whole new level of appeal to it. He just takes the testosterone level in this particular franchise through the roof and injects some much-needed self-awareness to the tone going forward. I mean, it's no wonder that his character Hobbs is still reportedly in line for a spinoff. It's just Dwayne Johnson brings that, not only his, his incredibly bulky physique, but um, his sort of ability to play badass, but also uh, playful in the same moment. It, it kind of reminds me of some of the old Arnold Schwarzenegger films, where he's almost it's almost like he's aware he's in a movie that he plays it up a certain way he says one ridiculous one-liners because he knows it's cool and and uh, Dwayne Johnson has really seems to be the heir apparent uh, in that regard and I think his role in the Fast and Furious films is probably the best one of the best examples of that um, you see that you see that moment in the rundown when Dwayne Johnson and Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of pass by uh, as Dwayne Johnson's entering a club and Arnold says have fun and sort of a symbolic passing of the torch and I think that that has really that that The Rock has really lived up to that and I think Hobbs and his part in the Fast and Furious films has proven has proven that point for Fast Five this is like I said with the superhero thing this is basically Fast and Furious assemble basically this is the Avengers entry in the series. I mean, you have Ludacris and Tyrese coming back from Too Fast, uh, from, the, from the second film to the fifth film. You have Han and Giselle from the fourth film. And then, of course, the original, uh, well, Jordana Brewster, Paul Walker, and Vin Diesel. No Michelle Rodriguez yet because of what happened in four. But the post credit scene teases her return in six. So it really, it really um, connects all the pieces in the franchise. And... Uh, as I said, connects too fast to the main narrative, gives it purpose, and finds a, a direction for the franchise to go. So it shouldn't be surprised that this film is the uh, the point that the whole series is completely re-energized. It, it, it brought me back into, this, into the franchise. I saw the fourth one. Um, I don't know if I don't remember if I saw Fast and Furious in theaters. And I remember being happy that they were recapturing the ensemble because I was not interested in the second one and I didn't even bother seeing the third one until right before seven I think Kai and I watched Tokyo Drift right before seven came out because we knew that it, it tied into uh, into some of the events of that and, and Han passing away getting getting killed and all that um, but but fast five we both saw it and we both loved it 
And it really uses the street racing theme to build into something much broader and uh, more appealing on a uh, on a mainstream four quadrant level, as people in the business would say. Uh, it's it's definitely the closest the Fast and Furious films have come to becoming transcendent, and Fast Five is really the reason that it's still thriving. They've they've only gotten um, more in involved in the same approach that they laid out in Fast Five, bringing in uh, bringing in huge stars, pushing the envelope with the stunt work, with the crazy action, and, and the, the thinning line between comedy and the drama, and uh, or the melodrama, I should say, in a lot of cases. But it's, it's clearly, in my eyes, the, the best that the franchise has had to offer thus far. So that'll take us into our review of The Fate of the Furious. Dominic Toretto just went rogue. You gonna turn your back on family? I know it looks bad. Don't give up on him so easy. We've only got one chance to make this family whole again. Don't do this, Dom. You ready? One thing I can guarantee, no one's ready for this. So The Fate of the Furious from director F. Gary Gray. Let's see, if you, can't, you haven't listened to any of the last few uh, episodes of the podcast, we're now doing a format where we're breaking down each film by the hype, the story, the cast, the production, and the verdict. So moving into first the hype for The Fate of the Furious. Now I'm going to keep... I'm going to keep this brief, since I've largely covered the entire series just a few moments ago. So, from its auspicious beginnings as a point-break ripoff, Fast and Furious has turned into what I like to call a soap opera on wheels. Much like the soft films, the Fast and Furious franchise has surprisingly developed a really deeply serialized mythology with just about every convoluted plot twist one can imagine. At this point, I'd be surprised if Dom at some point doesn't have an, an evil twin out there. Or, or uh, you know, if they if they take it into another genre entirely, um, it, it's just with that in mind and coming off the death of Paul Walker, the fact that this franchise has developed such a widespread assortment of characters and such a a focus on referencing the past and and pushing pushing the insanity to the the furthest uh, to to the furthest furthest steps that they could possibly explore. The question going to the fate of the Furious, after losing Paul Walker and after really getting things really amped up with Furious 7, the first in the franchise to hit a billion dollars worldwide, the question was how the series could push that crazy action and transition into something else entirely. After all, how many film series make it to the eighth installment without losing some steam? So moving into the story, I should tell you there will be spoilers. Um, if you haven't seen the fate of the Furious, and you're super hyped about it, go see it first, then come back and listen to this part. So this time around, and as I said up, up top, straight out of Compton and the Italian job director, F. Gary Gray, who actually worked with both Charlize Theron and Jason Statham on that film, as well as focusing on cars, I guess, um, and longtime Fast and Furious writer Chris Morgan deliver a story that centers on Dom's mysterious turn to the dark side. This is the man who puts family above everything else, so much so that he's compelled to utter the word every other minute. Family, real family. <laughs> In this one, he turns against his wife, Letty, his crew, and double-crosses them by completing a series of missions for a cyber-terrorist cipher. And no, unfortunately, this is not Joe Pantoliano 
reprising his role from The Matrix. Though that is a crossover I really want to see. Now, this cipher is played by Oscar winner Charlize Theron. We'll get to her in a moment. But the decision to have the crew face Dom himself is an interesting one. I mean, this late in the series, it's actually a really clever twist um, that you kind of have to admire that they, they came up with an idea with a basic premise for this eighth entry in the franchise and and found a way to to make it feel somewhat fresh, to bring a, a, a new dynamic to the, the group that has become so essential to the last several films uh, beyond just Vin Diesel and Michelle Rodriguez. Of course, they spoil in the trailers that Dom has gone rogue and the fact that the team is actually sort of facing him as a villain in some ways in this one. But I wasn't prepared for the actual payoff for this. I, I figured... I figured it could be with this franchise and how it basically has no limits. I figured it could be mind control. It could be uh, it could be a fucking Mission Impossible face mask thing for all we know. Um, but the fact that spoilers again spoilers if you haven't seen this, the fact that the big twist here is that Cipher has kidnapped not only Dom's ex girlfriend Elena, but the fact that Dom himself has unbeknownst to him fathered a child with Elena is actually the the biggest emotional draw in this film and, and probably the heaviest and darkest that this franchise has really gotten to date. I mean, we've had Letty get killed off and then later brought back to life. Um, and, you know, aside from the real-life tragedy of Paul Walker, the fact that, that there's a, a child involved in this one, there's a baby whose life is threatened uh, early on, and it's played very seriously in the scenes with Charlize Theron and Vin Diesel. I mean, the lines, the dialogue, and, and, and everything. Okay, maybe it's not acted seriously, but the tone is meant to lend real emotional stakes to this. And it goes to some pretty dark places with uh, Elena herself getting gunned down. Spoilers. Um, and, and I wasn't really, I wasn't really expecting that. It, it does veer a little bit too far into heavy drama for a film as goofy as this. And then later on, there's a great sequence with Jason Statham sort of protecting the child. And I, and I think I'm probably going to mention that later again. Um, that, that feels much more in tune with what moviegoers are expecting here. But the, the fact that, that uh, Dom does have a, a son that he didn't know about uh, was, a surprising, was surprising for me in the moment. And, and for a franchise in the eighth, you know, eighth time around here, the eighth lap, if you will, to uh, to keep to keep it all car related, um, was an unexpected twist that uh, that I, I sort of suspected might be coming only because they telegraphed it so blatantly early in the film when Letty is asking him, "Oh, how do you feel about if we were to have a kid? Like, if you had a dad, if you would be a dad, what would you think of that?" And she's like, "Oh, I'm not pregnant." I'm just wondering because we haven't even had a conversation about it. And then it turns out he has a kid already. So if that had, if they hadn't kind of basically shown their hand and blown their load up front there, uh, that would have been an more, even more impactful uh, reveal. So, you know, in addition to that, the screenplay does frequently try way too hard to be funny. And I thought a lot of the jokes, and I use air quotes when I say that, Really, uh, really too heavy-handed. I'm talking about a lot of the stuff with Scott Eastwood. I'm talking about virtually, and I complained about this last time, virtually everything that Tyrese says as Roman Pierce here, um, he's just, I know he's supposed to be essentially the, the uh, you know, the fool, and I'm saying that in quotes again, of this group. 
the jokester who's always in over his head. And he does get a point in here to actually look, be badass, finally. But at one point in this film, in the third act, he's in danger. And I sat there being like, oh man, please. <laughs> this is your chance. Take him out. Because he is he is the, the weak link in this ensemble chain. The fact that we lost Giselle, we lost Han... And, you know, due to real-life circumstances, we lost Brian. And Tyrese is still there making ridiculous one-liners that are sad and cringeworthy, even for this franchise. It's just... Uh, he drives me insane in this in these films. And I wish he they would find a way to write him out. Um, if, if only just to spare us any more of his inane jokes. I mean... Fate of the Furious even incorporates a new play on the, on the whole black Arab... Blarub gag that he had in in uh, Furious Seven, and that was just ugh, rolling my eyes so hard in the theater when I saw that film. This one we get Black Santa and Blanta, and that's supposed to be funny, and it, it it's just not. It it does not work for me, and I was just staring at Kai, being like, "Really? This this? You see what's happening here? Do you see how hard they're trying to? I feel like freaking uh, Rachel McAdams in Mean Girls. I'm like, stop trying to make Tyrese happen. It's not going to happen." And they just keep trying. Every film. Be like, oh, see, he's funny, right? No, he's not. He's annoying. The plot itself in this film, of course, is pretty ludicrous. Pun intended. Because we do have ludicrous in this. Uh-huh. Nudge, nudge. Um, from top to bottom. Though the inclusion of Jason Statham, as ham-handed as it is, the way he's sort of becomes part of the group for some reason, uh, just because everybody in this franchise just hangs around, um... Jason Statham really livens up the film a lot. And there's an there's an attempt here, sort of like Spectre, to retcon Cypher as the big bad for the last several films. And that ultimately connects um, Statham's Deckard Shaw and his brother and, uh, and the last, you know, basically six and seven. Uh, not necessarily five. Five kind of doesn't really involve Cypher, I don't believe, unless I'm mistaken. Um, but sort of sets her up as oh she's been behind all this crap that's happened recently and that doesn't entirely work but again you know you don't watch a fast and furious movie for the plot so the fact that i'm spending this long talking about the story in the story section of this review is kind of ridiculous in and of itself but late in the film it really is a joy to see a lot of the old faces luke evans comes back spoilers and a cameo as owen shaw who uh, had some pretty significant injuries at the end of 6 and then was revealed to be alive in 7. And you see him and Jason Statham team up as brothers, kind of helping out the crew. That that was a that was a ton of fun, and it was a blast to see him in there. Um, and as well as some of the other characters from previous installments. I will tell you there's no Jordana Brewster here. And um, of course there's no footage or anything with Paul Walker there. They, they tied his character up pretty nicely, and there's a reference to why they're not involved here that uh, that I thought neatly addressed his existence in this world without um, without like letting it take over the film or having it feel like a, a huge plot hole that Brian wasn't roped into what's going on here. <clears throat> so in the end, the story of F8, Fate of the Furious, uh, which sadly doesn't include the, the title pun in, in the beginning of the film. That was a disappointment to me. I even told Kai before we saw the, as we were driving to see the movie, I was like, if they don't have that F8 thing on the, ti on, on the title card, I'm going to be pissed. And they did not, sadly. Um, but, you know, it's, it's there for us, for us uh, you know, word nerds to enjoy. 
Uh, the story is ultimately sufficient, though for me, the franchise is really beginning to show its age here. Uh, it does have to sort of jump through a, a multitude of hoops in order for everything to hang together. And um, it feels like a step down from the the from some of the more recent films. And I'll, I'll get in when I get to the verdict, I'll give you a little more of my thoughts there. So moving into the cast, the cast here. So I always love the fact that the Fast and Furious has been one of the few major film franchises to embrace diversity in its ensemble cast. And I'm talking specifically Fast Five going forward. I mean, you have all kinds of, you have Latin people, you have multicultural people, you have, uh, I mean, you have like basically six or seven, give or take, people of all different races and all different ethnicities uh, where actually the white people are a minority in the group, which is which is really, really uh, refreshing to see. And now it's not only delightfully multicultural, but it's also just as star-studded, star blah, blah, blah. It's also just as star-studded as ever. I mean, Vin Diesel, Charlize Theron, Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham, etc., etc. There's there's a lot of people here. There's all kinds of, of star power on display here um, that... You know, with the new, with the um, returning characters that I just mentioned, to keep the narrative of, of uh, Furious Seven moving forward, to keep those storylines in play, then you have Oscar winner Charlize Theron and Helen Mirren, exclamation point, OMG, uh, joining the fun here with so many characters in play. It's kind of tough for anyone to really rise above it all. Yet, surprising no one, Dwayne the Rock Johnson continues to prove. Why he's one of the biggest stars on the planet. Um, I mentioned earlier about how I feel like he's the heir apparent to that Schwarzenegger balance of keeping the action sort of tongue-in-cheek, but still badass and still thrilling. And he finds not only the bravado in Hobbs, but also the sense of humor. And he really gets the sense that a lot of this, and, and you really get the sense that a lot of this is Johnson bringing his own spin and flavor to the role, sort of interpreting it. And he seems to... Him and Statham, Statham actually uh, have some of the best moments in their confrontation scenes, and they seem to understand the movie they're in more than everybody else. Vin Diesel, whose acting range is sadly limited, um, really just doesn't feel like the lead of these movies anymore. I mean, I said earlier that that he that he felt like the lifeblood to the franchise when he was absent from Too Fast, Too Furious. But at this point, his character just seems tired, and he should be the emotional heart of the film, especially given the personal journey that he's going on here, finding out he has a kid and and uh, and having his child's life threatened in such a such an aggressive, violent way. Um, but you know, in making the decision to make the storyline all about him, and I, I guess that makes sense since he is one of the few original uh, leads of this franchise. The film really forgets that Diesel's not really up to, in my opinion, to pulling it off anymore. Either as an actor, as a presence, he, his, the charisma that he's shown in some of the other films just isn't really present here. And I think a lot of that hinges on the fact that Paul Walker is not in play. So that bromance, that grand sweeping cinematic bromance between Dom and Brian that, uh, that basically was the entire basis for the uh, for the franchise in that first film it's it's sorely missing here and I think without Paul Walker to play off of Dom is sort of an island in and of himself and 
it, it it's just sort of feels like his role as leader of the franchise is, is being consistently usurped by people like like Dwayne Johnson, like Jason Statham, who steal every second they're on screen together, and who I'm really hoping to see like some kind of buddy spinoff from that doesn't involve Dom or or Ludacris or Michelle Rodriguez or God forbid Tyrese. Please keep him away from that. Um, and I like Tyrese as an R. I hate to like keep shitting on Tyrese. I like Tyrese as a singer. I like I still I still like to listen to Sweet Lady. Won't you be mine? And uh, and I think he's got really good presence in some other films. I do like him in Baby Boy, but here he just he, he grates on my last fucking nerve. Um, <laughs> so that that aside, I digress. But uh, you know the fact that Diesel is not really up to carrying the film. The only way Fate of the Furious really gets by the whole film with Dom essentially at its center is that his most frequent scene partners are Charlize Theron and Michelle Rodriguez, both of whom both of whom elevate every second they're on screen. Theron sort of embodies her sociopathic character with a, a kind of quiet menace that's not quite the the scenery chewing goodness that he or that she uh, that she gives off in something like Snow White and the Huntsman, sadly, so it's not to that level of, of uh, as, as Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman would call on Hollywood Babylon, exquisite acting. It doesn't quite go that far in, in uh, like how insane and over-the-top it is, but it, it, it's, it's sort of a restrained over-the-top, if that makes sense. She just kind of stares daggers at him and whispers, th- like, whispers threats, every scene and I felt like some of them their scenes were a little bit repetitive in nature but I feel like she's clearly the more interesting person to watch in those scenes and when you're talking Oscar winner Charlize Theron or Vin Diesel whose really biggest success is this franchise and outside of this you have a Riddick film occasionally you have Triple X film occasionally but no one is like no one's harping on another Riddick film no no one's harping on no one's really like pining for a Riddick film or a triple um, X film, except Vin Diesel. This is this is the fr- only franchise people seem to really want to see him in, and he's losing his, his grasp on it r- quite rapidly, um, if this film is any indication. So sadly, uh, you know, Charlie Theron doesn't really get a chance to throw down with anyone here, but they do leave it open for her to come back, so maybe next time her and... Her and Letty can get some some uh, some battle going on. Or I'd love to see Charlize Theron take on, I don't know, someone like Statham or any of these people. Although, again, I don't know if her character really has the physicality there. But Theron's about to blow people's minds in Atomic Blonde later this year with her action prowess. So maybe I should just shut the fuck up and I'm totally wrong. But because I I just, I didn't see Eon Flux or Aeon Flux, however you say that, and uh, it's Charlize Theron, I haven't really seen much of her in the way of an action star, and I didn't, sadly didn't see Atomic Blonde yet, so I would love to see her do some action and and, and stand her own with some of these some of these guys, um, so hopefully in, in the ninth film we'll get a little of that. As far as Michelle Rodriguez, even this far into the series run, I don't, I don't know how this is possible, but she really does remain... Kind of its secret weapon. Letty is the leading lady in this franchise for for good reason. I mean, she can sneer at some skanks one moment, throw down with Ronda Rousey the next, and then lend some true gravitas. And, and I'm saying, for especially in a franchise like this, you need good actors to either push it, push the performance so far off the grid that you're like, wow, what the fuck am I watching? This is amazing. 
or to to ground it on some level and an emotional level and Michelle Rodriguez managed to do that in a lot of her scenes where she's feeling betrayed by Dom or where she's um, trying so hard to keep the family together or or all that stuff and and you it kind of harkens back to her girl fight days I mean she's she's got a real uh, a real skill as an actress in addition to as an action star and it's the fact that she somehow made the amnesia storyline work in Fast and Furious 6, for example, is astonishing. And unfortunately, in this film, she doesn't have enough to do, but what she does have to do is top-notch. And she really kind of, between Michelle Rodriguez and Charlize Theron, she really, they really help to carry Vin Diesel's sort of lack of emoting in this film. Um, because he, he needs... Well, he needs... He needs those worthy, not worthy, but he needs those scene partners to really push his, uh, keep him, keep him kind of in his head in the game because it's pretty clear from here that that uh, the ostensible leading man of the franchise is kind of anything but at this point. Moving into the production, so if you're at all familiar with the Fast and Furious films, you know the insane spectacle of it all. And uh, the fact that that is basically the series' signature, especially in these last few films. I mean, as I said, The Fast and Furious, the 2001 version, was more or less an action thriller and had some cool stunt work and that kind of thing. But not fucking cars jumping from building to building and tanks and, and torpedoes being redirected by hand and and um, all the craziness that happens in, in the last couple films. Uh, as far as sheer volume of action, Fate of the Furious doesn't disappoint. But the sequences really, for me, range from pointless, that entire street racing opening sequence, which easily could have trim been trimmed down. Uh, I mean, we're looking at an overly long and, like, at some times, like, ridiculously drawn out 136-minute runtime. What the fuck? Why is a Fast and Furious movie, which has about no story that makes sense, why is it leaning ever closer to two and a half hours? That makes no sense. This is not The Dark Knight. This is not, you know, I, I don't know, The Avengers. There's no big, like, mythology here to establish. Crazy shit's happening. Oh, Dom turned to the other side. You don't need two and a half hours to delve into that. It would have been better to just skip all that. I know you want to have, look, street racing. That's what we did. Let, huh, we're still doing that. Don't give a shit. Skip it. Cut it out. Would have been better to skip right to Dom's betrayal. They're mid, they're mid mission. They're coming back. Dom turns against them. You, <clears throat> just like, just like Hobbs, just like the rest of the team, are like, what the fuck? What just happened? Plus, they give it away in the trailer. They give that moment away in the trailer. So for that to be the first scene would have made the most sense and would have trimmed a nice 10, 15 minutes off of the beginning of this movie. I mean, probably, yeah, probably about 10 minutes, I would say. I didn't check my watch, obviously, but uh, there were points in the middle of the movie where I was checking my watch. Um, and then have that work its way back through flashbacks. We can sort of get some idea of what, why Dom is in this situation. So that one was pointless, but then there's later on, there's some exhilarating moments. I mean, Cypher taking control of dozens of cars and creating mass chaos where you're seeing, I don't know, a hundred cars running down a street and, and like plowing into parked vehicles and, and people jumping out of the way and, and, Cars leaping out of parking garages. It, it, that was spectacular. That was probably by far the best action sequence in the film for me. And the part was like leaning over to kind of like, see, see that shit was in the trailer. I told you that something crazy was happening. You didn't know about it because you didn't see the second trailer. But that was so much fun to see. And, and uh, 
easily my favorite um, action sequence in the film. Although, like I said earlier, a lot of my favorite moments were Statham and um, and Johnson sort of staring each other down, and be like, "Oh, we're gonna fight one day." Yeah, we are. I'm gonna pound you into the ground like a Cherokee drum. All that stuff. That was all great. I I sad that they didn't have that that didn't happen. So maybe we'll get another fight like we got in Furious Seven from them in the next one. More more. But I guess what I'm saying is more. More hand-to-hand -hand combat, more personal battles. I mean, you, in this one, you get this bombastic third-act finale in Russia, the one you've seen on the poster and in the trailers, with the submarine and the tank, and it just felt like a bit much, even for this franchise. I mean, there's so much going on. For me, action is best when it's kept simple. I mean, even if you look at... I'm a huge Star Wars fan. You guys know this. I, I If you listen to this podcast for any length of time... Chances are I probably made a Star Wars reference or talked about Star Wars at some point because I fucking love Star Wars. But even in Star Wars, I'm much more emotionally invested and I'm much more thrilled by the lightsaber battles than I am the dogfights. The, you know, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon and Darth Maul is much more exciting to me than some of the dogfights in The Force Awakens, for example. Um, or or Ray and Kylo Ren to me is more fun than the attack on on Star Killer Base and for let's just keep it all in one film. So with this many badass action stars, with um, you know, I, Vin Diesel to me has always been sort of more of a mediocre action star. He's never really drawn me in the way I guess he has for some people. But with Dwayne Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham and and some of these other, some of these other really great Michelle Rodriguez, I'd put there. She she's more to me of a credible action star than Vin Diesel these days, um, and her character is way more interesting than Dom is. Um, at this point, the fact that we have all of them and we don't really get any any kind of beatdown sequences. We get one uh, really fun one in the jail in the prison. I think that might be the biggest one, and that was that was fun. More of that, more of that stuff, and less of. Less of the insanity and, and all the CG. I could I could kind of do without some of that. And I think if they were to scale a little bit back on some of those and focus more on the, the personal aspect of the, the fighting and uh, actually have Jason Statham fight The Rock, things like that, that would probably draw me in a little bit more. I don't know how much further they can push this franchise. We'll get into that in a, in a moment here with my verdict. But um, it would maybe something to consider to scale it back a little bit and actually, uh, actually tell you to take a different, uh, a different perspective on uh, on stakes. So more simple personal battles, or more tongue-in-cheek battles. I mean, we had Jason Statham here simultaneously babysitting and uh, in the in the middle of a pretty intense shootout. More of that. More of more of. Uh, more of a Clive Owen and shoot 'em up kind of having sex and fighting bad guys at the same time. More of those kind of crazy shit uh, action sequences, and less of oh look at all these explosions or look at what look at what's happening. There's a there's a, a submarine. There's a barge now, and then there's a blimp or some shit. I mean, it's starting to get out of hand for me, which is why on uh, on multiple fronts, Fate of the Furious was was for me less in less of an enthusiastic recommendation than uh, than some of the other films. So moving on into the verdict, finally. So there's all the earmarks of a Fast and Furious film here. You got the crazy frenetic action. You got the cringeworthy one-liners, at least for me. You got the global dance music and the hot women shaking their ass right in front of the camera. 
<clears throat> but it's all starting to feel very samey. Um, when you keep bringing in big name stars and upping the ante, as I was saying a moment ago, it really starts to feel like sort of a, a blatant exercise in overcompensation. With Paul Walker's character, and it seems like Jordana Brewster's by extension, out of the picture, and you know, that tribute at the end to Brian was kind of predictable for me once I knew there was a kid and and Elena is saying, oh, I didn't give him a first name. I thought his father should give him that. I was like, well, that's going to be Brian. Um, that was a nice tribute. But with them out of the way, with Mia and Brian off into the sunset, it's easy to wonder what all this is driving toward. I mean, it does seem like the filmmakers are keeping Cypher around as a supervillain for the next couple of films, at least um, since reports indicate that 9 and 10 are coming, um, and in fact, writer Chris Morgan even seems open to taking Dom's crew to space, which at this point feels like a natural extension of, of the growing wackiness this franchise has been going towards. I mean, at this point, literally anything can happen, and uh, audiences probably just, you know, okay, whatever, we'll see what happens. Well, this still looks like a fun movie. And for its part, Fate of the Furious, to me, is a step down from the past few entries. If I was putting it in my ranking from earlier, I would say it's probably fourth or fifth in the series for me um so still fast five fast and furious six furious seven which are uh, work together as a pretty a pretty fun trilogy of you know moderately descending quality in each film uh and then probably either the original or this one it's it's hard to say um but in any case it's it's not it's not great it's not to me a slam dunk in the way that the last few films were um, this is easily a three, a three point five, but more likely a three out of five rate, <clears throat> rating. Excuse me. And it just gets the franchise is just starting to feel bogged down by its own mythos and the need to make literally everyone an alley. I mean, why oh why is Jason Statham's character now a good guy? Why why do we keep bringing in these amazing villains and then oh no they're just gonna join the crew? It's it's it drives me bananas. What, what are they going to have? It's like, I wouldn't surprise, be surprised if Charlize Theron turns out to be a good guy in the next movie. And she's like, yeah, sorry, I shot Elena. Oh, well, I'll join your crew. And then they bring in someone else to be the villain again. It, that routine is starting to get old really fast. Still, you know, for those of you that are just want to see crazy CGI action, don't really give a crap about character, don't really give a crap about story, and your bar for you know for humor and what will make you laugh is pretty low i mean it's fun enough for what it is it's just to me just disappointing that the series popularity is starting to feel more and more undeserved um you know i was really behind five and six and seven slightly less so but i i would wholeheartedly recommend those films uh as kind of you know big action spectacle and uh, it's it's a bummer that the, the franchise seems to be winding down as far as the creativity and the uh, effectiveness with which they deliver the action thrill rides that they're trying to so desperately. But, you know, it doesn't really matter what I say because audiences were going to go see this. I guarantee it'll probably hit the billion dollars gross of uh, uh, Furious 7 if, uh, if that film's success was any indication. And even with my concerns, even with everything I've said... And all the issues I have with this film, and all the fact, all the all the complaints I've made about, well, this could have been better, or maybe try this next time. Even with all that crap, I will gladly fork over ticket money for Fast Nine from Outer Space. You're welcome, Universal.
So that'll be the end of our review of Fate of the Furious, or The the Fate of the Furious. I'm a stickler for keeping titles accurate. I mean, it would drive me nuts when people say, oh, I love Matrix. You mean The Matrix? So <laughs> The Fate and the, of the Furious. Um, I hope this was a fun episode for you guys that are, are fans of this franchise. I'm sure many of you will go see it this weekend, and hopefully we'll, we'll listen to this episode afterwards. Uh, next week, I'm going to see... Free Fire, which is the new uh, Ben Wheatley film starring Brie Larson, Army Hammer, Killian Murphy, Jack Rayner, Charlotte Copley, and that's basically an 85-minute gunfight from what I understand, so that should be fun, and then in, in addition to that, we're going to be looking at the most original films from A24, the production house behind Free Fire, behind Moonlight, behind Ex Machina, between, behind a bunch of really interesting cutting-edge film like if you look at their filmography over the past few years and they've really only been in operation since 2013 maybe 12 around there it's only been a few years the 2010s basically is when they they started up and a24 whenever i see their logo before a movie i'm i i always know if it's not going to be amazing and a lot of times it is if it's not going to be amazing it's going to be something very different and very um visionary in some ways i mean I'll, I'll get into that more in next week's episode but um you'll see what i'm talking about there they, they have a very distinct vision and they have a very uh sharp knack for finding filmmakers that have something interesting to say and something distinctive uh to bring out and uh and to sort of push um to push the cinematic art form in a, in, in, a, in a new direction. And, uh, you know, we'll get into that a little more next time. You can always find the episodes of Crooked Tail Podcast on iTunes. I'm going to be looking into adding uh, adding um, the podcast to Stitcher as well as some other places. So keep your eyes peeled for that. If that's how you, uh, how you take your podcasts, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, um, videos, which I'm looking into doing in the next few weeks. Uh, and other movie-related goodies over at CrookedTable.com. Follow me, Robert Yannis Jr., on Twitter at CrookedTable. Find CrookedTable on Facebook and Instagram and uh, it's, it's Tumblr. and I'm, We're all over the place. Let me know what you thought of this episode, as I said, at CrookedTable on Twitter. Let me know if, if you like, uh, if, you, if you're enjoying the new format of reviews that I've been doing the last few episodes. If you want to hear about... How uh, being a dad for the first time over the next few years, over the next few years, well, next few years too, I'll still be a dad. Uh, if you want to hear how being a dad for the first time over the last few months has affected how I how I view movies and, and changed the way I I take in my my film, uh, my film going experiences, then uh, listen to the last episode. I'll put uh, I'll put that in the show notes as well. If you want to if you want to uh, read my written review of Furious Seven or hear Freddie and I. Talk about that film on Crooked Table Podcast Episode 7. All the way back, all the way back then. It's been a while now. But uh, back, now we're all old, and that was when we were young, vital, like, <laughs> um, uh, purposeful members of society. So uh, until then, the next episode, as I said, Free Fire and A24. Till then, I've been Robert Yanis Jr., and uh, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast. Catch you guys next time. Roll credits.
This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.